all you have. You are now tuned in to Marcus Rays. You just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. Hey there, Cosmic Trailblazer. It's Kyle, dropping in for another Cosmic Adventures on the best Star Wars show in the galaxy, Star Wars Audio Archives, your celestial ticket to the High Republic's epic tales. Prepare for a high-velocity quest as we dive into Part 11 of Light of the Jedi. After the heart-pounding twist in Part 10, we're strapped in for a journey that's as unpredictable as a rogue asteroid in deep space. I'm as thrilled as a Wookiee in a game of Dejark. Ready to chart an unexplored galaxy and uncover hidden treasures? Buckle up those starship seatbelts, my intrepid companions, because we're soaring into the stars once more, and it's all happening right now. Above Elfrona. Ultident Margrona, just Dent since she was a teenager. She hated the name Ultident, thought it sounded prissy, yanked off her mask, and let it fall to the floor of the cockpit. She didn't care if the stupid miners saw her face. She needed to breathe. Needed air. Nonsense! Bogo said. Come on, fast! Dent knew that. The Jedi had landed a glancing blaster shot on their engines, and about 80% of top speed was the best they could manage. They had a path from Lorna D that would let them get out of the system, but her ship's path engine needed to calculate the jump from a specific region within Elfrona's gravity well. And that area was too far away to reach before the Jedi caught up. She'd heard stories about what these vectors could do. They might look spindly, but those ships could take them apart shot by shot. It wouldn't even be a contest. They'd end up with their engines completely gone, floating in the void. And then it'd be a hostage scenario. And how would that work out? You're a cloud, she told herself. You wouldn't be a cloud if you weren't smart. You aren't some stupid strike. Think through this. Ride the storm. If the Jedi disabled their ship, they could buy time by threatening to kill the two kids and the dad. Until... <sighs> what? The Jedi wouldn't let a band of Nihil kidnappers go. They'd board the ship eventually would probably kill Dent and her crew with their lightsabers right then and there. Frontier justice. Maybe they'd get taken to prison on Elfrona instead. Bad either way. Utter failure. Not very nigh-hill. She could just imagine what everyone would say. Oh, you remember that gal Dent? Screwed up the easiest job ever. A snatch and grab on some nowhere planet. Got herself and all her strikes killed. What an idiot. She spared half a thought for the two strikes she'd left back down on the planet. The ones she'd already written off. She guessed it was possible Ega and Rel were still alive down on the planet somewhere. Fighting the good fight. Two loyal strikes doing as their cloud ordered. They were both so stupid. Just went along with what she told them to do. Even though obviously she was sending them off to get killed to buy time for her, Mac, and Buggo to get off the planet with the cargo. No, those two idiots were dead for sure. They hadn't called in. And if they'd taken out the Jedi, they would have asked for a pickup. Ugh, she thought. This was supposed to be the easiest job ever. She was so proud of herself for thinking it up. She'd heard that these four people had tried to go it alone in the Outer Rim, 
live authentically, cut themselves off from their rich family on Alderaan. Made her so mad. They had everything, these blithes, and they threw it away to go dig in the dirt. But some people didn't have a choice like that. They were born in the dirt, and they die there. People like her. Until the Nihil, anyway. Lorna D had recruited her with a promise. They were all in it together. They were a family. A new family. And it all sounded so good. And it was working, too. She'd made Cloud and found strikes of her own to command. It was all coming together. And then she'd come up with this idea to take the Blythes and ransom them back to their rich grandparents on Alderaan. And her storm had liked it and taken it to Lorna D herself. And then she'd taken it to Marcion Row. And he'd liked it too. And she'd gotten the paths she needed to pull it all off, and it was supposed to work out. But then, Jedi. Boss! What are we gonna do? Boss! Bucko bugging her like he did. She should have sent him up into the hills to ambush the Jedi. But he was her second cousin's husband, which was family in a way. Close as she had. Laser blast zipped past the cockpit. Warning shots. Matt was on the guns, returning fire. But she had no confidence in his ability to shoot down a vector. They moved like ghosts, flipping and moving around and doing impossible things. Like the Jedi themselves, in fact. Dent reached forward and tapped a few buttons on her control console. She wasn't supposed to make contact while on a mission. Signals could be tracked. But what did she have to lose? A voice came over the comlink. Her storm. A funny, charming Ugnaught named Zuvler Tom. <laughs> he said, happy to hear from her, apparently. What's a good word? You got some packages we shouldn't get a pickled. Um, she answered, trying to keep the panic out of her voice. But we ran into trouble. Jedi chasing us. Ship's damaged. We won't be able to make it to the transfer point before they get us. We need a new path. Right now. We're still in atmosphere, so it'll be a tricky one. Jedi, huh? Zuvler said, no longer so happy. Yeah, such a low altitude. That's gonna run into trouble with the planet's gravity. Well, that's a big ask, Okay, Dent frowned. She told Zuvler her real name once, in a moment of booze-filled closeness at one of the rallies. Now he was using it, just like a weapon. Blasted little nothing man. Thought he was so special, so superior because he was a storm. He was just an Ugnaught. If she made it out of this, she'd poison his drink next time and laugh at him as his ugly little face turned black. Send me your coordinates. I'll have to run it out the line. The storm said. Don't call again. Either you'll hear from me with a new path, or you won't. The connection went dead. Think, she thought. It would take time for Zuvler to talk to the other storms. Then they'd have to decide whether to talk to Lorna D, and she'd make the call on whether to ask the Eye for another path or just cut her loose. She was just a cloud, 
the odds weren't good, but she knew the Blythes were valuable. And if this whole thing could somehow be pulled out of the fire, everyone stood to gain, including Zoofler, including Lorna D, even including Marcion Rowe. That was the system. That's why the Nihil worked. Everyone did things their way, lived how they wanted, took what they wanted, and everyone got a piece. So it was in everyone's interest to keep the system going. But if the Jedi caught them before all of that thinking and requesting happened, no one would get a damn thing. Especially Ultident Margrona. Mac! She said. Now! He answered, still firing at the Jedi chasing them. His shots made nothing but the mirror. Take one of the kids! She said. The little girl! Throw her out the airlock! Oh. Max said, doubt in his voice. What? Now you got qualms? No, he said. I don't care. Except that we already lost the adult human female. Now we lose another one, we're cutting our return in half. You idiot! She wanted to scream. Who cares about the money? What if we don't get away? There's no profits, no credits, no life! We'll be dead, you dumb strike! The Jedi will try to save the kid, she said, forcing a patient tone into her voice. That's what they do. Might give us a chance to get away. Mac grunted, and she heard him get up and head toward the back of the ship, where their three remaining Blythes were tied up in the cargo hold. Right the storm, Tint! She whispered to herself, Just light the storm! The Outer Rim, the Third Horizon. So that's what caused so much pain, said Chancellor Lena So from her offices on Coruscant. She was looking at a high-res hollow projected by one of her comms droids while Avar Chris and others from the Emergences Task Force were watching a vid screen in the Third Horizon's briefing chamber. But the images were the same. The last thing the Legacy-run scanners saw before the ship tore itself apart. That thing was a ship, blocky and ugly, with three bright jagged stripes across its hull, exactly as described by Serge Ukarian on the Panacea. Three lightning bolts, which Senator Nohar's people had confirmed as the insignia used by the Outer Rim Marauders, known as the Nihil. The vessel was moving through hyperspace, but not along the path of the swirling hyperspace tunnel, as had been the case with every ship Avar had ever seen. The Nihil ship was moving across hyperspace, at a right angle to the Legacy Run's direction of travel strange red and gold turbulence rippling in its wake. I was given to understand that something like this was impossible, Lena So said, her left hand idly stroking the head of one of her two giant pet cats. Avar knew their names, Matari and Voru. They were famous throughout the Republic, but she didn't know which was which. The Chancellor's words were slightly delayed, a factor of the distance between Coruscant and the Outer Rim territories. 
Senate-level comms were given the highest priority over the relays, but parsecs were parsecs. That would change, hopefully. Improving the Galactic Communications Network was one of Lena Soa's planned great works. But not if they didn't solve the issue at hand. It should be impossible, Chancellor, Velis Santeca said, sitting at the table next to his partner, Marlowe, who nodded in agreement. Avar sensed something there. Some unspoken communication between the Santecas. A careful choice of words. Maybe Elsa was right, she thought. Maybe we should have pushed them a little harder. Clearly he thought so. He was sitting across the table from her and caught her eye. Nothing more than the tiniest glance, but she knew exactly what he was thinking, even without force-related assistance. She offered Elzar a tiny shrug. Whatever the Santecas knew, their help had been genuine and invaluable. Kaventar had told her there was no way he could have completed his Navadroid array without their assistance. She didn't know whether that was true. The Hetzalian engineer was clearly a genius. But the Santecas had certainly helped Kaven finish the array more quickly, and speed was of the essence here. The genius in question was on another screen, a comms droid projecting his hollow against one of the briefing chamber's other blank walls. Tar had stayed on the rooted moon in Hetzal, and was using his array to process the data retrieved from the Legacy Run's flight recorder. The massive, stitched-together computer brain had been completely repaired from the damage suffered when it first activated. In fact, not just repaired, but enhanced. Chancellor So had ordered Transportation Secretary Lorelia to provide Kaventar with as many Navadroids as he needed. If he wanted a million, he was to get them, no matter the cost. Can someone summarize our conclusions thus far, please? Lena So said. Everyone looked at Avar. Somehow she had become the leader of the task force, despite sharing the room with an admiral, a senator, and various other high-level luminaries. We've learned that a group calling themselves the Nihil was directly connected to the catastrophe in Hetzal, and the subsequent emergencies. They're a low-level marauder operation, working in the Outer Rim. Raiders, basically. They've done some terrible things, but they're a regional problem, handled by defense forces and security teams on a case-by-case -case basis. As bad as they are, they're small-time. It seems, though this is informed speculation, that whatever happened in Hetzal gave them the ability to predict emergencies, much like Kaventar's Navadroid array. They've used that ability twice that we're aware of. First, in Iriadu, as part of a botched extortion attempt, and second, at the 40th Emergence, where they attempted to prevent our teams from retrieving the Legacy Run's flight recorder, as they knew it would tie all of this directly back to them. That's where we lost one of your colleagues, the Jedi Knight Teami, and two brave pilots in a longbeam, Marcus Auger and Beth Petters, correct? Avar inclined her head slightly, in silent agreement. The Chancellor considered for a moment, scratching behind her Targon's ear and getting an appreciative purr in response. Do we think these Nihil caused the Legacy Run disaster on purpose? It doesn't seem like it, Elzar Man said. 
He gestured to the main vid screen, which was still displaying the Nihil ship crossing through hyperspace, running on a loop. This is clearly a ship, and armed. If they wanted to destroy the Legacy Run, they could have fired their weapons. They didn't. The Legacy Run just tore itself apart, trying to evade this thing. Besides, as Master Chris pointed out, this is a bunch of Outer Rim Raiders. Opportunists, not planners. This all seems like a horrible accident. An accident that they promptly tried to profit from at Iriadu, Senator Noir said, pounding his fists on the table. An accident that has cost the Outer Rim territories dearly in lives, opportunity, and treasure. They must be held responsible. Behind him, his aide nodded. A blue-skinned Shagrian. Slim, tall, and precise in dress and manner. Janai Wataro, Avar recalled. They will, Chancellor So said, holding up a hand. First, we need to know whether it can happen again. Santekas, what is your view? Marlo and Velis glanced at each other briefly before speaking. We believe this was a tragic fluke, Chancellor, Marlo said. We do not think there was an overarching issue with hyperspace. However, this... Here he pointed at the vid screen, still displaying the brutish ship looping across the Legacy Run's path over and over again, trailing its strange red and gold wake. Suggests the Nihil have an understanding of hyperspace that is at best unique and at worst hugely dangerous. That should be investigated, and quickly. Well, perfect then. Senator Noir said. You heard the man, Chancellor. Hyperspace is fine. The Outer Rim is suffering. And I know you want Starlight Beacon to come online. It's time to reopen the lanes. Not yet, Senator, she said. We know what happened, more or less. But just because it was an accident once doesn't mean it couldn't be done purposely in the future. It's not such a leap for marauders to become terrorists. This threat has to be eliminated. Senator Noir began to sputter out a protest. Enough, Noir, Chancellor So said. I've made my decision. I know you're concerned about the Rim. I am as well. But I'm responsible for the entire galaxy. And in case you've forgotten, hyperspace goes everywhere. If the Nihil can attack us in the lanes, nowhere is safe. She turned to look at Admiral Cronara, standing at the far end of the briefing room. Admiral, I want you to activate the defense provisions in the RDC agreements. Gather a fleet from the Treaty Worlds and hunt down the Nihil. I've read the reports. Even if there really is no further danger to hyperspace, there are still dangerous criminals who should not be able to operate with impunity. Even if they confine their raids to the Outer Rim, we are all the Republic. Very good, Chancellor, he said, sounding pleased. Then again, he was an admiral. Do you have any idea where the Nihil are based? Chancellor So continued. Their headquarters. If I may, Chancellor? Keventar interjected, raising a hand. I've already set my array to calculating the likely origin point of the Nihil vessel that caused the Legacy Run disaster. 
It originated in a spot near the Kerr Nebula. I don't know if that's their base, but it's a place to start. Very good, Mr. Tar, she replied, then looked out across the Third Horizon's briefing chamber. You have all done very well so far, she said. You discovered the cause of the Legacy Run tragedy. Now I give you a new assignment. You are to make sure it never, ever happens again. Whatever it takes. Chancellor Lena So leaned forward, and both of her giant cats lifted their heads, their ears flattening in a threat display as they sensed their master's emotional intensity. Avar, despite herself, despite all her skill and training, found herself glad that half a galaxy separated her from this woman. She did not envy the Nihil, who now found themselves under the gaze of a person who had demonstrated the will to reshape the entire galaxy. I want these Nihil brought to justice, the Chancellor said. Every last one. No space. The Great Hall of the Nihil. This is the moment, Marcion Rowe thought. The new beginning. He stood in the center of the huge platform that was the Great Hall of the Nihil, open on all four sides to the nothingness of no space. Unsettling multicolored lights flickering in the far distance. Nothing interrupting them but the silhouettes of the vessels that had brought Martian and the three Tempest Runners to this forsaken, desolate place. The hall was empty. No feast tables interrupted its expanse, and the four of them were alone and unmasked. Martian looked at these people. Kosif, Han Ada, and Lorna D. They resented him, and they resented one another, and all believed they could do better than the rest. There was no unity. There was no purpose to the Nihil, other than a desire for profit and a shared love for taking from others, flouting the system. That had to change. This was the moment. I heard from my spy in Senator Noor's office, Martian said. The Jedi and the Republic have access to the flight recorder they got when Lorna D failed her mission. Lorna D blinked, but didn't say anything. They know we're responsible for the Legacy Run disaster, Marcion continued. One of Pan Ata's clouds was returning from a raid using a path and ended up almost smashing into the run. That's not our fault, Kossif said. How are we supposed to know? It doesn't matter if that wasn't our fault. Iriadu sure as hell was, Martian said. For once, Kossif shut his mouth. So, that's what happened in Hetzal. All the emergencies, Kossif's idiotic move at Iriadu, and then Lorna D basically proved we're involved but she tried and failed to get the flight recorder, Pan Ada said, his voice like rubble falling off a cliff. We're all over this. This is bad. What do you think is going to happen? Lorna D said, 
They'll hunt us down, Pat said. The Republic and the Jedi, too. Not just some regional raider crew anymore. We're a threat to them. We caused the whole damn hyperspace blockade. They want to make an example of us. Look, we've had a good run, Kossif said. Everyone's made money. It's not like we have to do this. We can just uh, go. And all the storms and clouds and strikes and our tempests, the ones who follow us, believe in us. What about them? Lona D said. Kossif shrugged. They can do whatever they want. They want to keep the Nihil going? Keep riding the storm! That's their business. Nothing saying we can't ever retire. What, we gotta be Tempest Runners until the day we die? What about living off the spoils of a lifetime of hard work? Pan Aetis snorted. <laughs> you think they'll see it that way? They'll think we cut and run. Kasev shrugged again. The Nihil are about freedom, right? Do what you want, when you want. Well, maybe I want to get the hell out of here before a Jedi pulls out a lightsaber and cuts off my head. Didn't you once say you wanted to fight a Jedi? Martian Rose said, his tone mild. Get yourself a good story to tell? Kossip said nothing. This is the moment, Martian thought. He punched Kossif right in his stupid, cunning, savage face. Marcian's gloves were reinforced with armored plates and acceleration compensators. He could punch a hole in a durasteel wall and not feel a twinge of pain. He heard the sound of Kossif's stupid, cunning, savage nose crumpled under his fist. And by the path, it felt good. Pan Ata and Lorna D didn't move. They seemed stunned. This was not something the Eye did. The Eye didn't fight, especially not the Runners. He didn't have a Tempest to back him up. The Eye got a third of the take and was happy with it. Change can be challenging, my friends, Marcian thought. Kossif staggered back, his eyes gone wide, blood gushing from his nose, but only for a second. The man was no stranger to pain, and Martian supposed he was no stranger to surprise punches in the face, either. Kossif's eyes narrowed, and his hand ducked inside his fur cape where he kept a secret blaster, in violation of the Great Hall's rules. Martian had known about it for years. Martian whipped up his arm, and one of the vibro stars he kept in a sheath along his wrist wickered out. It sheathed through half of Kossip's hand, along with the butt of his blaster, and chunks of metal and flesh fell to the floor. Kossip, to his credit, tried to keep fighting. Blood spurted from his nose and sprayed from what was left of his right hand. And yet he lunged forward, swinging a pretty credible punch with his left. Martian caught it, spun, and threw Kossip to the platform. He landed with a hollow wet sound in a pool of his own blood. Kossip said, the first sound he'd made since the fight began. The man was tough, there was no doubt about it. 
Marcion put his boot on the Tempest Runner's chest. Not lightly, either. He pressed hard, like he wanted to shove the man right through the blasted deck into the empty space on the other side. I am the Eye of the Nihil, as was my father before me, he said. We made this organization what it is. And I will not watch you destroy it with your selfishness, fear, and weakness. You made a mistake at Iriadu Kassif, and it showed us your belly. You need to remember how this works, Chief. The Nihil need to stay strong. And one way that happens... He bent at the waist, his eyes narrowed. His teeth bared. It's by cutting out the weak. Marcion pressed harder with his boot. I have a plan to fix this, he said. Fix all of it. Do you want to hear it? Marcion Rowe put a little more weight on Kossip's chest, and the man groaned. He nodded. Marcion stepped back and watched as Kossif pulled himself to his feet. I understand why you're all worried. This isn't a good situation, and it's on the verge of getting worse. But listen to what I have to say, Marcian said. The Tempest Runners looked at him, wary, but interested. This will solve everything, Marcian said. Get the Republic off our backs. Maybe even kill some Jedi. It'll be back to business as usual. No more emergencies. Just the paths and the plunder. We can start bringing in new strikes again. The good times will keep on rolling. The wariness dialed back, and the interest dialed up, even from Kassif. Marcion knew it would. None of them wanted to go it alone, without the paths. They'd all made piles of credits from the Nihil, but they spent it as fast as it came in. On fancy ships, and fancy clothes, and elaborate banquets. Their greed would make the decision for them. Look, we're smarter, and faster, and we've got the paths, he went on. We're ten steps ahead of the Republic. I'm telling you, we can fix this whole thing. The Nihil are my whole life. I'm not walking away without a fight. We're listening, Harry said. Okay, Marcion said. We can get the flight recorder back, and without that, the Republic won't be able to find us. We can lie low for a bit, reorganize, even move to the Midrim. The paths let us work anywhere in the galaxy. He pointed at Kasev and Lorna D, one with each hand. You both made big mistakes, and your crews saw you do it. People are talking. You look weak. Your storms have to be thinking maybe this is their chance for a hostile takeover. You can fix all that. 
do it right. You'll be heroes to your tempests. He smiled at them. A big, encouraging smile. They didn't seem reassured. Kasif, I've gotten word from my Republic sources that the flight recorder was damaged when the Legacy Run blew up. They got some data from it, but not the full set. Not enough to find us. It's being sent to a special facility to extract the rest. You can intercept the transport and destroy it. Lorna D, go to Elfrona and help your crew there finish that kidnapping job. We might need funds, and since that operation's already in progress, we might as well bring in some credits. Show the crews we're still taking their needs into account. This is time for unity. We have to come together. I'll give you both the paths you need to get it done. Lorna D nodded. Then, after a moment, so did Kossif. Do you, uh, need me to do anything? Panada said. That was unusual. A Tempest Runner asking the Eye for orders was just not the way it was done. The dynamic had shifted. They could all feel it. The moment for them to leave had come and gone. They had acknowledged that if they were going to stay with the Nihil and reap all its benefits, then they needed the Eye to save them from themselves. No, Pan, Martian said. You're fine. For now. Should we vote? Lorna D asked. Absolutely, Martian Rose said. They did. It was unanimous. Go, Martian said. We don't have a lot of time. Save the Nayu. The Tempest Runners left, heading for the airlock. Martian let them get a few steps away, then spoke. Kasiv, he said. The man turned back. Martian pointed. Don't forget your hand. Elfrona system. Bell couldn't believe what he was seeing. A hatch along the hull of the Nihil ship had opened, and a small figure had been tossed out. Just thrown, like nothing. He gasped. Loden, ahead of him in the pilot's seat, put the Vector into a steep dive. Another one? His master said. You will save the child. I will continue on and save the others. Do not fear. I am so proud to have been your teacher. I believe in you. The Vector's cockpit levered open. The wind rushing past so loud that speech was impossible. But what more was there to say? Bell unclipped his safety harness and leapt out. Immediately, gravity took him, and he fell into a spin. That didn't matter. They were kilometers above the surface of Elfrona, which meant he had some time, but not much. If he was going to save the little girl, and he was sure it was the little girl, a child tossed away by the Nihil like garbage, he needed to focus. He pushed away his awareness of Loden's vector, shooting back up into the sky, continuing the chase alongside Indira in her own ship. He forgot about the ground, the sky, 
everything but the Force and searched for a tiny spot of light within it. The sense of a lost child who needed to be saved. There! Del could barely open his eyes against the rushing wind. He wished he had a pair of goggles. But truthfully, he didn't need them. Or his eyes, either. He had the Force. He wrapped his arms and legs tight to himself and angled his body down, feeling himself shoot forward as he became more aerodynamic. Bell reached out to the Force, asking it to push him even faster. The little girl was flailing, and that surely created some wind resistance, but they would both reach terminal velocity soon enough, and then he wouldn't be able to catch her. The second or so of fall before Bell had leapt from the vector had undoubtedly given her a significant lead. But the Force answered, and perhaps the sleekness of his Jedi letters let him shoot forward more quickly than he otherwise might. All he knew was that he was getting closer. The blithe child's terror was looming in his senses, rising, her fear overwhelming. He put it aside. As he approached, he reached out and used the Force to pull the little girl to him. He enfolded her in his arms. She struggled. Of course she did. Who wouldn't? He pulled part of his tunic over their heads, enough to block some of the wind, then looked at the child. He didn't know that he'd ever seen someone so frightened. Bell pointed to the Jedi insignia on his chest. Miraculously, she calmed. She knew what he was, and she thought she was saved. Not yet, Bell thought. He pulled her close, cupped his hand over her ear to block the wind, and spoke. Close your eyes, he said. I'm with you now. You're not alone. He had no idea if she had heard, but he'd done what he could to calm her. Now, he had to focus. Bell glanced down, squinting against the wind. He was looking for a soft spot. Water, maybe. Even a slow slope they might be able to roll down. Anything to ease their landing. There was nothing. Just the rough landscape of the planet. The swirls of the magnetic mountain ranges and rust plains between. Elfrona was not a soft world. They were falling from a height a hundred times higher than anything he'd ever tried in training. And even then, he'd never landed successfully. For a moment, he hoped against hope that perhaps Porter Engel could miraculously appear at the last minute. But the Akraki was far away by then. And in any case, he had his own Blythe to save. No one was coming to save him or the girl. He had to do it all. And he had to do it alone. Bell opened himself to the Force. He did not think about the ground. He thought about the child in his arms. And how unfair it was that these things had happened to her. He knew he had the power to save her. To let her continue living in the light. Why would the cosmic force have given him his abilities if not for this very purpose? The wind was not his enemy nor gravity itself. They were both part of the Force, just as he was, just as the child was. If he fought them, he was fighting himself. He should not try to fight. He should try to understand. Belzedifar relaxed. He came to know something profound, perhaps something about the Force. 
perhaps something about himself, something he would try to understand more clearly later. He thought it was the reason that he had been so bad at saving himself from falls, despite his master's best efforts to teach him. Being a Jedi was not about saving oneself, it was about saving others. The roar of the wind past Bell's ears lessened, becoming no stronger than a powerful breeze. He could hear the little blithe. She was praying or chanting. He couldn't understand the words, but it was the same short phrase over and over. The wind quieted further to silence. Bell opened his eyes. They were barely ten meters from the ground, and they drifted downward, slow as a leaf to land gently on the slate-colored ground. He could understand what the girl was saying now. I'm not alone. He sat up. The girl clung to him. We're okay now, he said. What's your name? She looked at him, eyes wide. I'm B, she said. But that's just what people call me. My big name is Balin. That's a little like mine. He said. I'm Bell. We're safe now, Balin. Everything's gonna be all right. The child gave him a dubious look, the look of a kid who knew she was being told something untrue by an adult, no matter how much she wanted to believe it. Her face cracked, and she burst into tears. Bell just held her. He looked up at the sky, searching for the vectors or the Nihil ship. Nothing. Not even an exhaust trail. Everything's gonna be all right, he thought. He didn't believe it either. Interlude. The Council. Joramali positioned herself before the comms droid that would transmit her image to Coruscant to the chamber at the very top of the Order's Great Temple, where the Jedi Council met to deliberate. At that moment, she was aboard the Atraxia, the Jedi's beautiful, elegant starship, almost a temple in and of itself. The ship had dropped out of hyperspace near Felucia, expressly so Jora could attend this particular meeting with maximal stability and clarity of signal. It was, in all likelihood, the last vote she would ever take as a member of the Jedi Council. The Starlight Beacon would be brought online very soon, at which point Jorah would officially step down from the Council and take on her new role, running the Jedi Quarter on the massive space station. Jorah Mali had missed many votes in the past. While she took her role seriously, she generally believed she could serve the light more effectively out in the galaxy than sitting in the Jedi Temple. But this day's deliberations were significant, and the entire Council had assembled. Those not physically present on Coruscant, sending their image via high-priority hollow transmissions, as Jorah was doing. The comms droid projected an image of the Council chamber for Jorah to see. The elegant circular room with huge windows in every wall, providing uninterrupted views of the Coruscant cityscape. It was day at the temple and the sun shone in, illuminating the beautiful mosaic inlaid upon the floor. The windows were symbolically significant as well. The High Council conducted its business in the open, with nothing to hide, 
Twelve seats were set at equal intervals around the room, each sized and designed for its particular occupant. Yariel Poof, Reina Kant, Oppo Rancisis, Keaton Murag, and Adelai Caro were present in person. Six others, including herself, were appearing via hologram, with yet another droid in the council chamber projecting their images to the other attendees. Eleven council members, all but Master Rosasin, in the midst of a delicate diplomatic negotiation from which he could not step away. Jorah thought about her Padawan, Wreath Silas. She wished he were there with her. He could learn many things from observing a council meeting. Truth be told, she just missed the young man. Wreath was seventeen, a good student, perhaps not entirely thrilled that he would soon follow his master to the Starlight Beacon instead of remaining on Coruscant. The frontier held little interest for him. Well, of course. Wreath was, in fact, seventeen. No space station, no matter how exotic, could compare to the greatest city in the galaxy. She had left him behind to give him a bit more time on Coruscant before he joined her in the Outer Rim. A small kindness she had been happy to provide. But just as his time in the core was done, Wreath had been pulled into a mission alongside two more experienced Jedi, Komak Vitus and Orla Jereni, both knights. She had questions about Orla, but Komak was steady. Wreath would be fine if perhaps a little frustrated at losing his last bit of time in the core. Ah, well. Such was the life of a Jedi. Better get used to it early. She glanced at Skier, sitting across the table from her, watching silently his long, clawed arms folded across his chest. He looked imposing, as always. A slab of scaled muscle and sharp teeth in Jedi robes. Trandoshan Jedi were rare because the planet's culture was built around predation and supremacy, ideals that did not always mesh well with the precepts of the Order. Even when Trandoshan children did have an affinity for the Force, it was unusual for them to be brought to the Jedi Temple for training. But Skier had not only made it to Coruscant, but had also excelled, becoming a full-fledged Jedi Master. All things were possible. Jorah didn't imagine she would have direct need of him during this council meeting, and she thought he knew that too. But Skier was never far, and it was often when she thought she'd have no need for him at all that he'd come in most handy. Skier had personally saved her life four times. And counting, she assumed. The meeting began, and the matter to be discussed truly was important. The Chancellor of the Republic, Lena So, had asked the Jedi to participate directly in a mission she had authorized for the Republic Defense Coalition to hunt down and either imprison or eradicate a group of Outer Rim Raiders who called themselves the Nihil. These people had interfered with the galactic hyperspace lanes in what appeared to be an effort to extort systems out of enormous sums of money. Bad enough but their actions had also caused the deaths of billions of people and paralyzed a wide swath of the galaxy. The Nihil must be dealt with. The only question was the role of the Jedi in that action. Jorah listened as the various council members presented their arguments. 
great emphasis was placed on interpreting the will of the Force, listening for the voice of the Force, taking direction from the Force, and so on. Jora found that a little tiresome. A philosophical vortex. For her, it was very simple. The Jedi were deeply connected to the light side of the Force. Whatever choice any Jedi made was therefore the will of the Force. Study and focus allowed the Jedi to become better instruments of that will, certainly, in much the way that a well-maintained lightsaber functioned better than one that had fallen into disrepair. But getting caught up in an endless debate about what the Force might want was paralyzing. A waste of time. This is a military action, Master Adampo said, stroking the long white whiskers dangling from her chin. Her voice strong and direct. The Jedi are not a military force. I believe it is that simple. But we have been a military force in the past, said Apo Rancisis. In fact, our predecessors waged and won the Great Sith War. There is endless precedent in the Chronicles for this sort of thing. True, but we are not at war now. We are the farthest thing from it said Reyna Kant. Not the farthest, replied Yariel Poof. There have been times in our history when the Order was reduced to but a handful of members. Why are we talking about history? said Efru Shin, the newest member of the Council, a Mon Calamari selected by Yoda to hold his seat while the Great Master was on his sabbatical from Council business. We should be concerned with now, not old empires or victories or defeats. What is our role in this Republic, at this precise moment? She lifted a hand. I believe that the Jedi should, at all times, present to the many peoples of the galaxy a way of life centered on peace. We must show them the way. The Republic is uniquely receptive to such an idea at this moment. Yes, but we are guardians of two ideals, are we not? Said Yariel Poof. Sometimes, unfortunately, they come into conflict. We must always strive for peace, but also justice. Peace without justice is flawed. Hollow at its core. It is the peace provided by tyranny. I do not believe there has been a single instance of the Jedi getting involved in the military matters of galactic government that has generated anything but endless complexity, Ephra replied. So we should strive only for simplicity. The galaxy is not a simple place, Master Shin said Grand Master Laru. And on it went. Jora listened, but did not speak, letting the other council members make their positions clear. Those positions settled, with five in favor of agreeing to the Chancellor's request to include Jedi in the mission against the Nihil, and five against. The final choice was down to Jora, which seemed appropriate to her, since it would be her ship, the Atraxia, that would accompany Republic forces on the mission. The other members of the Council looked at her, waiting for her to speak. And so she did. 
You know I'm not much for words. I prefer to act. In this case, I think the decision is simple enough. It's the same question I ask myself whenever I do anything at all. She again wished Wreath were here, thinking of the lesson he might learn here. She would have to pass it along to him later. Does the action I'm about to take bring more light to the galaxy? She spread her hands. In this case, I believe the answer is clear. The Nihil have snuffed out countless people across the Outer Rim and caused endless strife and suffering. We should act to reduce their ability to do anything like this again. I will take the Atraxia and accompany Admiral Cronara's fleet. And then what? asked Apolrancissus. Do you have any sense of what you will do once the Nihil are found? Yes, Master Rancissus, Jora said. Whatever the Force wills. Goodness gracious, did you hear the same thing that I did? That was like a meteor on a collision course with destiny. I'm as exhilarated as a thrill seeker about to conquer the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. With each new episode, our voyage introduces us to captivating situations, unexpected twists, and cosmic enigmas that keeps our saga in an everlasting state of curiosity. But now we have to get to the quote of this episode, and it comes to us from the man himself, David Goggins. He said, be more than motivated, be more than driven, become literally obsessed to the point where people think you are crazy. All right, let's break down this quote. Imagine you really, really want something, like more than anything else. It could be a dream job, winning a game, starting your own business, or anything that's super important to you. Now, being motivated means you want to do it, and being driven means that you actually work hard to get it. But this quote is telling us to go even further than that. Think of it like this. You know how some folks are super into their hobbies or work and they spend like every waking minute on it? They're always talking about it, always working on it, and sometimes they seem a little bit crazy to others because of how much they care about it. That's what this quote is about. It is saying that you should care about your goals so much that it is all you think about. In real life, this could mean you are starting a business. You're not just going to work nine to five on it. You're always going to be thinking of new ideas, talking to people about it, learning new stuff to make it better. Or if you're an athlete, you're training all the time, watching your diet, studying the sport, and living it. Now, a word of caution, being this obsessed can be good for reaching big goals, but you got to remember to take care of yourself too. Don't forget to rest, hang out with your family, and do other things you enjoy. Balance is key. So in simple words, this quote is like saying, don't just be interested in your dreams. Live and breathe them to the point that others might think that you're a bit crazy. And that's all I have for this episode. I trust you had an out-of-the-world experience exploring part 11 of Light of the Jedi, and I'm excited to have you on board for part 12, which will be zooming into orbit in just a few sun cycles. So until that time arrives, may the Force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel and was distributed by Swaycast Networks. The High Republic Light of the Jedi was read to you by Jason Odega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs>